Welcome to the ALSC Podcast. Here at ALSC, we seek the lost, teach the found, and send the disciples. We truly hope you are encouraged by this week's message. We're going we're gonna to pray and then we're going to get right into our teaching today. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for all the generations that are in this room, whether they are 8 to 88 years old. Would you speak to our hearts, all of us, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of the word. We're going to uh, preach on the red letters of Jesus, but it's also going to be a hybrid of this um, generational service that we introduced and did today. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Today, we would have said, Jesus, who is the goat? And he called a small child and he had him stand among them. I truly tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter, participate in the kingdom of heaven. Imagine all these grown-ups thinking, I'm the best because of my education. I'm the best because of uh, who I know. I'm the best because of how much I make. And then Jesus brings in this person that's half their size and says, this guy's the greatest. Then it goes on and it says this. Then the little, <laughs> therefore, whosoever humbles himself like this ch- What do you want to do? Play with me? Okay. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples, notice this, rebuke them, rebuke them. These are Peter, James, and John that are looking at these children and rebuking them. The older generation has, still does that. We want to rebuke, scold, mock, make fun of a younger generation. But watch what Jesus said. Leave the little children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of a God belongs to such as these. As much as it belongs to older people, it belongs to younger people. You may be seated. Pretty powerful. You know, all of us think that our generation that we grew up in is the best generation. It had the best music, it had the best movies, it had the best clothing, we had the best lingo and how we talked to one another, we had the best of everything. I'm going to go back to a generation today of the 1950s. Are there any 1950 kids in here? Here is what you, see that's how quiet they are because there's not a lot of them. Here's what you grew up with. You grew up with the honeymooners. Leave it to Beaver and I Love Lucy. One more time, the 50 generation. Here's the 60 generation. I grew up in this. Star Trek, Bewitched, and the Brady Bunch. Is anybody out there? You're not my age. Why are you raising your hand? Next is the 70s. 70s is Happy Days, Sanford and Son, Good Times. Next generation, the 80s generation. Magna P.I., Full House, and The Cosby Show. There's a lot of you. The 90s, Friends, X-Files, Seinfeld. I have no pictures. How many of you are the 2000s and above? Name your show. I heard SpongeBob SquarePants. All right. But here's what I recognize from the text that we just read, that Jesus values generations that we often forget. 
that Jesus understands the difference in generations in their giftings and how to relate to them and the world they grew up in that could be different. Jesus doesn't discriminate one generation from another generation. And last of all, Jesus recognizes I can save all generations, yet I can use them all amazingly. Because here's what I recognize. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. That's everybody. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's everybody. Jesus said there's no difference between Jew and Gentile or Greek. No difference between male and female. All are one in Christ. Jesus does not show any certain preference toward any race, status, culture, country, classification, language, rank, or people. He loves us completely the same. How many of you um, believe that your recipe of mac and cheese is the best recipe ever? Is it because of the type of milk that you use? The flour that you use? The pasta that you use? Or is it because of the type of cheese that you use? You're a mozzarella person, a Parmesan person, a Jack person, uh, a, a Brie person. You know, what matters at the end of the day is not you thinking your recipe of uh, macaroni and cheese is the best. What matters is, is that it tastes good. And it doesn't matter what generation you grew up in that taught you that that's the recipe. We all have a favorite recipe. At the end of the day, all that matters is that it tastes good. Isn't that what it's about? Yeah. Let me show you a stat or a chart on the screen that just shows you the different generations. Because this is very, very important for you to understand this. Because the first time in history, we have five generations in the workforce. Never it's happened in, in, in history. Number two, we have six generations that are alive today on the planet. And here's what I recognize. The devil is driving a gap between generations. And he seeks to destroy generational relationships. So he has us mocking each other, can't tolerate each other, can't stand each other, don't believe that they're of a lesser generation. Why am I saying this? Because you will never function in a church. You will always go to a church that makes you comfortable and not go to a multicultural church. Why? Because you don't want to be challenged in your thinking. And vice versa, whether it's young or whether it's old. You will quit on a job because you can't work with someone that thinks differently than you. Your friendships, your relationships will be chosen based upon your preference and not necessarily maybe someone God wants to bring into your life. So it's very important if you're going to function in this world and not live a separate life, an isolated life, that you understand that there are builders in this world today. So if there's anybody born between 1929 and 1945, say amen. amen. My mom, thank you, mom. You're the only one. You're the longest living member of Abundant Living, the oldest member of Abundant. You're the only one that made noise. The other ones, I don't know. Just put a mirror under their nose, see if they're alive. They grew up, this is important, you understand them. See, young people understand them. 
Because if not, you'll say they're old and they're gripey and they smell like mothballs and they're cold all the time and need a blanket and all they do is watch news all day long. But see, here's what you need to understand. That woman in the first row, that she grew up in the, either the Great Depression, well, she grew up more, not in the Great Depression, but World War II. She, by nature, or they, are frugal, resourceful, grateful, conservative, and they save Christmas wrapping paper. Now, that's a joke, but it's not a joke because they grew up in poverty. They didn't know if they'd get a, a present or paper the next year. Young people, you don't think about that. So you judge them a certain way. Then there are the baby boomers. This is my generation. There was a boom of babies after World War II. These kids grew up in a time expansion. Malls, communities, uh, rapid growth took place during this period of time. Uh, television, movies, all this took place. These kids grew up in time expansion. Not depression. The economy swelled. And they questioned everything about their parents. This was the hippie movement. They experimented with everything. Then you have the baby busters or the Xers. Are there any Xers in this place? Yeah, we're trying to X you out. That's why we called you Xers. This generation began with birth control pill. So birth control was birthed in your generation. It was a bust, not a boom. Gen X is the smallest numerical generation on the planet right now. So they're, they're a unicorn. If you, if you have one of them, hold them close to you, okay? You hear me, Sean? That's why I love you so much, because you're one of these. He just, he's so weird. That's why I hold him close to me. Gen X grew up jaded, uh, raised uh, by parents during the Vietnam War and, and Watergate. Then you have millennials. Are there any millennials here? They were raised by parents preoccupied with their safety, okay? Everything is childproof. My generation, you can open a can of bleach and drink it. Their generation has 15 knobs, 15 screws, plastic on every corner. Oh, my baby. They threw us in the pool and told us how to swim, taught us how to swim. You have floaters. I don't even know what the heck those things do, but you have floaties. Okay, so by parents preoccupied with safety, self-esteem and status. Life was customized with entitlement. That's why entitlement is huge to you. You don't think that you need to earn anything. You just think it's your right. Doesn't make you wrong. It's just the mentality of what you grew up in. Uh, because the, the baby busters were often more spoiled than the next generation. And that went, was passed on. And they, get, they like participation trophies. My generation, you got one trophy, MVP. That was it. I didn't get a trophy for showing up. And then there's Gen Z's. Gen Z's. That's Javi right there and over there in that booth. Today's kids grew up in the wake of three recessions. Shooting, pandemic, political polarization. They have lots of anxiety. Huge. They're the generation that deals with mental health, mental health issues at the top of their game top of the game. And then there's gen alphas that are still our babies, are really, really babies. We have to learn how to function in this world today with everything that's going on. So we recognize this is seen in this. This is seen in this. This is where it is. It'll show on your screen. 
It's seen in this in parent and children relationships, grandparents and great grandchildren, teachers and students. You see this clash going on. Teachers don't understand the students of today. Students don't understand the teachers of today. Bosses cannot get along with employees. See, uh, uh, bosses of my day uh, would, t- would, would believe that you do what I say and you don't question. And if you don't like it, don't let the door hit you behind the back. This generation wants to sit down and vote on everything first. And, and, and they want to have cubicles that they can paint uh, to their likeness. And they want to have a balloon parties and birthday parties and all that. And so there's a class, you, you can laugh. No one's, no generation, we have to learn to get along. It's not, it's one's right, one's wrong. That's where the dev- devil is dividing the generation. Older and younger home, homes and families and churches and churches are being divided. Next one, please. And here's what it's creating, a misunderstanding, labeling, can't relate to one another and quick to judge and a low tolerance of each other. I, I can't take you that long. And here's the mentality. We don't need each other. We can live without each other. And we don't see the worth in each other. And last slide here is this. This leads to a neglect of an older generation to a younger and the disrespect of the younger to the older. Two key words here. My generation, my generation will start neglecting the younger generation and the younger generation will start disrespecting my generation. And if you believe that's true, it's being seen all across this world today. I'm fed up with those young people. I have no time with them. I'm not going to invest in them. And so we're starting to neglect the, your, your, our parents, our grandparents felt it, felt it a personal responsibility to invest in Diego to produce great morals, to be, for Diego to be a great humanitarian, for Diego to be a great human being. They'd slap you, they'd swat you, they'd whip you, they'd say no to you. They could care less what you thought. It was their credibility that was on the line. We are not doing that. We are fed up with them, and so we are neglecting them, which is producing a disrespect within them. They don't care. You could say, you better respect me. I'm an older. And that's what I think about you being old. My generation wouldn't do that. But because I neglected you, that's how you respond to me. Okay, let let me leave that alone because I'm preaching over your head right now. But here's the reality that I want to share with you. How many of you heard things like this? When I was your age, let me tell you what I used to do. And it's producing a gap and a generational clash that you're saying without saying that your generation or you are better than the next generation. So you exaggerate, exaggerate or exaggerate, lie, whatever you want to call it, and say, when I was your age, I walked five miles to the snow to get to school. And you can't even walk a hundred yards to catch the bus? You liar. You never walked five miles to the snow. And the younger generation would say this, when I'm your age, I'm not going to raise my kids the way you're raising me. How many of you see this clash going on between generations that the enemy is using? The older generation says those young people don't know nothing, have no manners, and don't respect. And again, the younger generation says all those old people do is gripe, complain, and criticize. So let me share with you some 
uh, diversity that exists in this next chart, and then we're going to go to the book of Psalms. 83%, this is the world we're living in. If you're going to function, you've got to know this. 83% of all American workers prefer, prefer a four-day work week. You, you go to that, to my mom's generation, and they'll call you lazy. Even my generation will call you lazy. But this generation feels that work is not the important. Their family time and their personal time, my generation sacrificed our family to provide food on the table. That's just the generation we grew up in. But the next generation is learning and say, you know what? I could do the same amount of work in less days and have the freedom. 80 for 50, excuse me, 57% of millennials are very happy at work, making them the happiest generation. 22% of Gen Zers are either unhappy or hate work, making them the most happy generation. I'll just stop right there. I, I could give you a long list for you to understand the differences of, that, of what's going on between the generations. But here's what you need to look at when we go through the book of Psalms right now. Psalm says this about generations. One generation will declare your works to the next generation and will proclaim your mighty acts. Responsibility. Next. Even while I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me while I proclaim your power to another generation, your strength to all, to all who are to come. A responsibility. Next. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his words and gracious in all his actions. A level of understanding. Next. Young men as well as young women, old and young together, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. That's what God says, and that's what God looks at when he looks at generations. So if generations are going to come together, the only way that's going to come together is if we start laughing together and crying together and knowing each other and spending time with each other, and touching each other, and talking to each other, and understanding each other, and listening to each other. If this scripture is true, which Psalm says, the only way we're going to come together is if we stop keeping things and we start sharing things. If we stop holding on to things and we start giving things. If we stop watching people but help people. And if we stop saying they and we start saying we. If we're going to come together, then we have to realize that we have to do more cooperating together and contributing together and conversing together and collaborating together. Difference of opinions, difference of ideas, and difference of methods. Now listen, I want to make it clear. I am not talking about compromising sin. I am not talking about eradicating the scriptures. But I am talking about different methods in which we are trying to climb the same mountain, but you go about it differently than I go about it. See, you have a different generation right before you today. I'm 62 years old, and my son Adam is 33 years old. He's practically half my age. But right now, you see us co-leading this organization and this church together. Very, very rare that that happens because generations do not get along. There's a competitive going on. There's a low tolerance going on. There's a differencing of a method and opinion and usually the older will dominate and he'll drive out the younger. 
And the younger now will either split the church or the younger will go down somewhere else and start his own church. Out of love and respect to the father, you do your thing. But I have a whole different opinion, style. It's not about principle oftentimes that drives us apart. It's about style that drives us apart. Because old people get stuck in the way they've always done it. And will not listen to a different method and a different style. It's okay, I'm preaching over your head, I understand. It takes people that are humble to be able to work together like that. It takes people to dominate in love and understand the will of God to be able to do that. It takes an older generation to recognize your days are numbered. I don't care how cute you think you are and how much game you still got, it's numbered, buddy. And unless you invest in the next generation, Church, and we see it all over the place. You got an old pastor with an old church, and they're and and they're they're just trying to survive. And you got an old guy that cannot relate to the young generation, from the style in which he preaches, from the music to how he dresses to how he communicates. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? I just want you to see Jesus has the primal example in his ministry, in his life. When he was a baby, he allowed Simeon and Anna, two old people, to come and touch his life. When Jesus was 12 years old, he ministered and allowed an older generation in the temple, and they collaborated, and he shared scriptures with them. We see Jesus being the oldest, around 30 years old when he starts his ministry, and all the disciples were in their mid to early to high teens. They were much younger than him. When they, the people he chose. In the parable of the two sons and the father, we see generations there. Jesus healed the widow's son, the ruler daughter of Jairus' daughter, and Jesus healed the woman from name, son or child. There we see generations. When Jesus was older, we see him around Pilate, Herod, Annas, Caiaphas, and Joseph of Arimathea. Let me show you just a thought here today. The problem is this. We get comfortable in the old ways of doing things that we're not open to something that's new. Let me show you something here. How many of you grew up with this? This is what I grew up with. This is called an Etch-a-Sketch. And this was the bomb diggity of the day. Man, if you had one of these, man, you were something. You could draw the greatest horizontal lines and the greatest vertical lines and make the greatest box men and box women you could. And you didn't know no better, but this was the greatest. And when you were down to it, you shook it. And based on how it was handed down to you or how old it is, you'd have to shake it some more. And then you'd see worn out lines. This is the modern Etch-A-Sketch of today. It has a light. It glows in the dark. You don't have to draw horizontal lines and vertical lines. You could draw whatever you want now. And then when you're done, you just have to come on over here and wipe it clean. Now, how dumb would it be to say, I want this in my life because this is the best <laughs> when I could have that in my life? Anybody hear what I'm talking about? You know, somebody says, I didn't feel nothing during praise and worship because I'm used to Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
All these jump. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Jump, 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 jump. Do it, do it, do it, do J E F. Jesus liked it. They were singing to Jesus. They were singing about Jesus. Who cares about the style? We will fight over the principle found in the scriptures and hold to that. But the method, the method in which we do it is totally irrelevant. When I started church, you, a preacher had to wear a three-piece suit or he was not anointed. Now look at how I dress now. When I started in the church, you could not have a guitar in leading in praise and worship. That was rock and roll. That's the devil and that's the world. And, and they sold us on that. How many of you hear what I'm talking about? And we could go on and on and on and on, but it wasn't found in the Bible. But yet we made it an issue to fight about. We get scared of trying new stuff. And again, we fight over style issues rather than principle. A few months ago, I took, um, uh, me and lovely Cindy took um, uh, grandkids to go see the new Spider-Man cartoon movie with, with uh, Miles Monroe, with Miles Morales, with Miles Monroe. Don't, don't correct the preacher when I'm up here. Get him out of here. Me and Cindy are saying, that's the worst cartoon Spider-Man I've ever seen in my life. I took three naps. Usually I take one nap. I took three naps. But then I, I looked at Matthias and I said, what'd you think about that? He said, Grandpa, that's the best. That's the best Spider-Man cartoon movie I ever saw. Can you see an older generation is basing it upon the cartoon and not the, this anime look, the modern look of cartoons that was based upon and we have to be open to things of that nature and, and not be so critical. We often boast about our own experiences, yet we have created no new experiences as older people. And as younger people, this one's huge, so give me a moment to say it. Watch this. We've allowed our social network to feed us information, creating false narratives, and have become experts and geniuses without relational experience from others. The younger people have a ton of knowledge, but they have no application. And because of that, they think because they have technology, they can learn, they can have a doctor's degree in a matter of moments to understand something. But to put it into application, they don't have the wisdom to do that. They don't have life's experience to do that. And that oftentimes is the difficulty. I'm gonna close, try to wind this down. Let me go over now to the book of uh, Exodus and read you something that took place during the time of Moses, Pharaoh, Egypt, and the 10 plagues. This is after the eighth plague, which is the locust. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to the king, that's Pharaoh, and he said to them, you may go and worship the Lord your God, but exactly who will go? Who do you want me to let go? Moses answered, we will all go, including our children, watch this, and our old people. We will take our sons and our daughters, our sheep, our goats, our cattle, because we must hold a festival to honor the Lord. Now watch this. The king or Pharaoh said, I swear by the Lord that I will never let you take the women and the children. See, it's still the nature of the devil to divide the man from his family. 
Man, you be selfish. All we care about is that you're free. Don't care about your children being bound and don't care about the next generation. You walk away from your family and leave them in Egypt. How many of you see that? That's what happened. But watch what it says. It is clear that you're plotting a revolt. No, only the men may go and worship the Lord if that is what you want. With, with that, Moses and Aaron were driven out of the presence of the king's presence. Then it goes on and says, the king then called Moses, this is after the plague, and said, you may go and worship the Lord. Even your women and your children may go, but leave those doggone sheep, goats, and cattle must stay here. And you go on in the progression of the story. After the next plague, he said, y'all get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with you. Very huge that you understand this. The thing that you and I have to understand about what we just learned right now is this is that all generations must leave together. Egypt, Pharaoh, hell, and the sin. All generations must live in the promised land of Canaan together, whether it's Canaan or heaven. All generations must learn from each other's successes and mistakes. One generation died in the wilderness because of their doubt and their fear, and another generation passed on to believe God and to trust God. And all generations must love each other. Moses felt so much in love with Joshua, they said, one day I'm going to die and someone needs to take over, so he invested in the next generation. Moses had to deal with the difficulty of his brother who, built a, who allowed the people to build an, a, a Baal, a calf idol, and he had to learn how to forgiveness. Miriam was jealous over him because he married someone that she didn't agree with, and so they have to learn how to get together, dwell together in the spirit of love. And the only way we're going to do this is if we pray for each other and we be patient with one another and we live in proximity. We're part of each other's life and we hold to our profession of who God is in our lives. Now, I'm going to end with this, but I'm going to, I, I forgot to do this Saturday and I forgot to do this first service. So if you'd give me the first John scripture, I want to read this scripture here. Watch this. Three generations I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I, I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the father. Next one, please. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Go back to the original slide. Notice this. You see three, three, go back to the original slide. You see three generations, children, fathers, and young. But notice this. Children have the ability to deal with the forgiveness. Fathers have the ability to know the one from the beginning. And young people have the ability to conquer the evil one. I could preach a whole message on that three points. He is showing you how we need each other. How one generation might have a strong gifting and inclination, but we need someone that brings the forgiveness into the kingdom of God. Then we need someone that's conquering a, a generation. Then we need to know the ones that know the Father from Him that is the beginning. And if every generation works together in families and in churches, then the enemy has no place in our lives because all of us are functioning in a level of protection. 
So I'll end with this. Here are the seven W's that generations are to do together. We are to worship together. In the church and in our homes, read our Bibles, pray, praise. We are to do that together. We're to turn around and teach our children how to pray, let them lead prayers. I did that all the time with my little guys. I taught them, okay, Nathan, it's time for you to pray. Adam, it's time for you to pray. And they were kids. They did, Jesus, I love you. Bless my dog. Thank you. And I say, oh, that's a great prayer. I didn't say, shut up. Let the man of God pray. Dear Lord Jesus, let your glory and your fire fall. Nah, no, we didn't do that. Here's, what, here's the statistic on marriages if they'll pray together. The statistic is the divorce rate among couples who pray together regularly is one out of 152, 1,150. That's less than 1% 1 of marriages will end in divorce if they just simply pray together. We work together. We labor, we sacrifice, we build, and we gather together. It's not one, just one generation doing their part. It's all of us. I may not be able to lift what other people could lift. I may not be able to financially give what other people could do. And I may not have the time, but I have to do my part. We, we warfare together against the adversary, his wiles, his plots, and his plans. We witness together, influencing, sharing our faith with the people that are in our lives. We warm each other together. That's comfort and that's encouragement in times of weaknesses and in times of hurt. We wash each other. We wash together. That's acknowledging our temptations, confessing our sins, repenting and living an accountable life to one another and restoring each other. This one we don't do well in the body of Christ. Every one of us live isolated lives. Yet the Bible says in James, confess your sins to one another. Most of us confess our sins to God, but we will not tell each other our sins. We violate scripture. And that's why usually that's why you repeat it because you're not accountable to somebody. Now I'm not saying you do it to a stranger. You do it to a trusted brother or sister in the Lord. And that brother and sister in the Lord is supposed to make you feel safe, but they're also accountable to you. And the reason why I believe so many men, especially men, fall victim is because they do not have a trusted friend and they would never ever, they would always be temptation, but they don't have to sin. And if they could find a brother that they could go to in the midst of their temptation and that brother not judge them, gossip or backstab, you will have a great relationship and you would have redeemed a lot of brothers from sinning. For a brother to go and just say, listen, I... I'm tempted by this woman at work. I'm late by myself, not, not, not trying to bother anyone. This girl keeps hitting on me, and she is fine. Bro, pray for me, man. Pray. For, I love my wife. See, we can't do that. We will not do that because we have nobody that, that is honest with us. That tries to, listen, man, man, I lost my wife. I lost my husband, and I'm alone right now. And, and uh, you know what? I used to be an alcoholic, and that bottle's talking to me again, man. See, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll, so we'll, we'll style and profile and come to church. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Act like we got our act together and we're hurting. And last of all, we walk together with lifelong friendships, fellowship, and life, uh, lifelong fun that we share together. I'd like uh, to end with this. I'd like you to listen to this little video. Uh, this was this Friday at prayer. Uh, I did, it was not on the agenda to pray, but obviously this word of what I was going to be preaching was in my heart. And the end of the prayer, our Friday night prayer ended this way. Let it be the ending of this sermon today. Hear the words. 
Raise up a generation, O God, of young, young, young uh, kids, O God, that will not compromise, O God, but they will be so needed, God, in their, in their uh, gift. Let their gifts, their talents, their abilities, what you've ordained in them, God, be manifested, that they don't have to be confused with one major to another major and go to college and get a degree that they can't use, God. But use them, God, so that unsaved people, God, and the world, God, would come to them as they came to Joseph and his gift, as they came to Daniel and his gift, as they came to Nehemiah and his gift, as they came to Esther and her gift, God. They didn't care what they believed, God. They cared first about the gift, that the gift could help the community and bring betterment, O oh God. And then they started asking the questions, who do you serve? And where did this knowledge and wisdom come from? I pray that, wow, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray that over people, over this young generation, God, over this young generation, speak to their hearts. Let them know, God, visit them, God, Give them this assignment by the Spirit of God. Reveal the calling, God. Reveal yourself to them, God. Reveal the gift. Reveal the talent. Reveal the ability, O oh God. And then place them, God. And then position them, God, for your glory and for your honor that will cause amazement to the others. Like in Persia, God, like in Babylon, 10 times stronger, 10 times smarter. That's what we pray. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, 10 times smarter and 10 times stronger so that they do not have to bow and they do not have to compromise to the appetites, the diet, and the agenda of the world. They could stay faithful to you because they will first be needed for their gift and then your anointing and your calling and the light that's within them will shine, God. And many, many will come to faith. We pray that now in the mighty name of Jesus. Cover everything that we prayed for, God, to your glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to ask that nobody move. We're going to walk out of this church together in a matter of moments. Please don't disturb what's about ready to take place. It's the most sacred time in this church where God begins to talk to people. I want to ask you, have you made your peace with God? Have you made your peace with God? What, is that? what do you mean? Are you right with God or are you not right with God? Are you an enemy of God? Are you a friend of God? Is God a stranger to you or is he your best friend? Would he be viewed as a foe in your life? Someone that's distant from your life. You're separated from him. Or would he be your best friend? Have you made your peace with God? Is there animosity between you and God? Is there anger between you and God? Are you mad at God? Are, do you hate God? Down deep in you, though, maybe you would never say it, but you feel like some injustice that's happened to you, some bad things that happened to you, some losses in your life, you blame God. So you're not at peace with God. 
there's a strife, there's a division, there's, there's a war going on. One moment you want to surrender, the next moment you're running from God. Have you made your peace? If you were to die tonight, are you at peace with God? Well, the reality is this, is the only way to be at peace with God, for God not to view you as an enemy, but as a friend, is to accept his peace offering, which is Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take away the division and the wall that would separate you so that you would no longer be a stranger nor an enemy to God, but you'd be a friend of God because Jesus came to this earth to bridge the relationship between you and God today. So you don't have to walk around as a stranger, an alien, a foreigner. You could walk around with peace with God. I have peace with God. And people are looking for peace today. That's why they drink too much. That's why they cuss so much. That's why they fight so much. That's why they work out so much. That's why they work too much. They're trying to look for peace. And the only way to find peace is to have peace in your life, which is Jesus. He's the only remedy to the lack of peace in your life today. Will you come to him? Say without a shadow of a doubt, I'm a Christian, but I've been riding the fence of compromise in my life. And I've had peace and I know peace, but right now I have no peace. It's almost as though I'm in a place of guilt in my life because of how I've been living. It's the beauty of the Holy Spirit in you, making you feel uncomfortable in the sin that you're living in, only to love you and draw you back into relationship. So today, to have peace with God or to regain that peace, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for Jesus, and then we're going to pray. Is that, it's that simple. One, two, you raise your hand and we'll pray for you right now. One, two, three, all across this auditorium, wherever you might be, raise up your hand. Would you say this prayer with me? Mean it from your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, you know who I am, and you know everything I've done. And I'm not sure that I have peace with you. And there have been some things that have been dividing me and you. But today, right now, I want to get those things right. I want them removed. So I ask you now to forgive me of my sins, to come and live in my heart, and Jesus I profess and I confess that you are my Lord. Amen.